Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and sorry for the lack of episode last week. The burnout was real last week. I was <laughs> unable to get up in time to finish the episode just because of my day job and trying to fit in all of these other things I've been wanting to do. Uh, namely, trying to catch up on the Godzilla retrospective, which was very poorly planned out, but it is what it is. So, this week, uh, in order to catch up, we're doing another... Super Mega Awesome Movie Review Madness! 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 Which entails reviews for last week's episode, what would have been last week's episode, John Wick 3, A Dog's Journey, The Sun is Also a Star, and Palms, and then this week's uh, reviews, which are Aladdin 2019, Brightburn, and Booksmart. So without further ado, let's get started. for what? Because of a puppy? Wasn't just a puppy. John Wick is one of those franchises that has miraculous, miraculously stayed good and also improved with each new iteration. You don't really get that a lot in sequels. Normally, each sequel is a dilution it's sort of like a homeopathy uh, with movie storylines, which is each new iteration dilutes the original storyline until it becomes, you know, unwatchable. And uh, here, it's actually built, each one builds onto the ne the previous entry and makes the world a little more interesting, a little crazier, and builds on each, you know, setup. So, like... Oh, uh, the second movie had this in iconic death scene with a pencil. Well, now here he, there's a big one with a book. I won't give away, but he kills things with book. He kills a guy with a book. He kills people on horseback. He kills people, you know, fighting swords on motorcycles. So, I mean, like, the action sequences become more and more interesting. And they're all shot beautifully. One of the things I do commend this franchise for is because the directors came from working in stunts, they know the, that side of things so well that they know exactly how to shoot them, how to choreograph them, and how and how to make it interesting. So you got this... Uh, it's an immediate follow-up to the second movie, where uh, John Wick was um, excommunicado, which basically means... Uh, he is no long. He is considered a free target by everybody. He's no longer part of this society of assassins, and he had to spend the movie trying to circumvent that and stay alive. And along the way, he run. He meet. He uh, he sees Halle Berry, who is an old friend, who they who um is built. You know, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but basically, she has a connection to the previous movies. Uh, even though this is the first time we're seeing her. But she's amazing. She has these trained dogs. Like, that's the thing. Halle Berry, you don't think of as an action hero. But the directors here, the director here knows exactly what to do to make the star showcase stunt work without, act, you know, without cutting away to a stunt double. 
like all of the great stunt scenes with Halle Berry, it's her. You can tell that it's her, and she's doing great like action sequences with shooting and with you know like uh, fights, you know, like the fight martial arts choreography. It's her doing it. You can tell it's her doing it, and that makes it even better. So she really is, ca you know, capable of so much, and we completely forgotten that because of crap like Catwoman. And I think this is a great way to showcase that, yeah, Halle Berry is still great, you guys. We, we, yeah, we, we should remember that and give her better opportunities uh, to showcase how great she is, either as an action hero or just in general. Like, she just needs more projects and better projects. Um, the other thing is, uh, the other real standout in this is Mark Dacascos, uh, who is mainly a TV actor. Uh, like, he was on the... Hawaii Five O remake a bit, and uh, here he is the main antagonist for John Wick. He's the one kind of actually facing off with him, and he is has great charisma. He is he like there's bit there's a bit where he comes off as a fanboy with John Wick while they're you know while in between the fighting, and he is you know Mark Dacascos is really is really solid as an actor. I think he could. I don't know if he's capable of like leading a movie. But as a supporting actor, he is perfectly capable. He has great uh, comedic timing for him, you know, and uh, he has great, you know, he's a great, you know, he works great in the action as well. So I could easily see him popping up more and more in movies. He's good. Um, I will admit, though, the the as the movies have progressed, the storyline has become so convoluted and like, okay, What's really going? What's going on now? Uh, uh, but yeah, the world they set and the world they set up is kind of a hot mess. Like, how does this actually work? Because there are people killing each other in broad daylight, and nobody's doing anything. So, okay, yeah, this is definitely a far fetched uh, premise to to take in. But at the same point, I like it, and I'm and the fact that they're still going ahead with that TV series about the Continental. I mean, if it's got the same action quality as the movies do, which shouldn't take too much. It shouldn't cost as you know that much more to do it on t you know, to do it on TV versus doing it on film, because I don't think these are very expensive movies. All you just need is a good choreographer and to take the time to practice these these sorts of moves. So yeah, um, I could easily see this working as a TV show to continue this premise, the storyline of uh, this world of assassins. Um, but yeah, uh, John Wick three uh, without giving too much away. Just it just is the best one of the franchise so far. Like the first one, okay, yeah, that was fun. Second one, oh, that was really that was really good. Third one, Im just immaculate. Just one of one of my favorite movies of this year. They just keep getting better, and now it makes me wonder how are they gonna top themselves? What are they going to do now? But uh, the way they set up the next movie seems very interesting, so I can't wait to see what this... And there's definitely going to be a follow-up. So we're going to see... Uh, I mean, I'm, I can't imagine this being a, a flop enough to, 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 to warrant no more sequels and just cutting off the franchise. So I'm very interested to see how they follow this one up. Baby, I'm not moving on. I love you long. all the answers but i know we end up where we're meant to be like a drum my heart never stops beating for you 
If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you might remember that that A Dog's Purpose was one of my least favorite movies that year. I think it was 2017 that it came out. And the main impetus being we're watching a dog die over and over again for some weird sentimental thing of like, oh, he's she's coming back every time to be with his human. And it's like weirdly morbid and and dark and twisted and nobody's talking about it. It's like, oh, isn't it so sweet about puppies and dog and how he's really man's best friend it's like uh, is nobody seeing the amount of dogs being forced to die for this premise this whole thing is so weirdly morbid is nobody gonna talk about it uh so this continues with a son that i don't even remember from the first movie uh who dies and had left behind a granddaughter and a and a daughter-in-law for um for uh Dennis Quaid and his wife from the first movie, and apparently the daughter-in-law is really like she's almost like neglectful. Like you could easily take her to court and find her in, you know neglectful as a parent. Yeah, take away her daughter. That's how bad she is. But nobody does that. She's just allowed to raise her daughter and be terrible at it. And just be this neglectful, very awful parent This for the first half of this movie. And it's just okay. We're just okay with that. Um, I think Corey Coleman over on Double Toasted described it best. He called this Tyler Perry, but with dogs. And it is essentially a Tyler Perry movie. The villains are just over-the-top villainous. They're like... Because, I mean, like, the bad people in this movie... They hate dogs. Ooh, they must be bad. And that, and then like the like the girl, like the the daughter, uh, the granddaughter, uh, her growing up, her boyfriends are abusive, and one actually tries to kill her for some reason because he's evil. Ooga, booga, booga. And yeah, that's kind of how Tyler Perry writes things. So it is essentially a Hallmark movie or a Tyler Perry movie, and it's about the dogs, but. Yeah, so everyone who isn't absolutely perfect and the best person ever is a terrible. Like, the least terrible person is um, the love interest's girlfriend, uh, who is this British model. And the worst thing she does is leave him when he when she finds out he has cancer. That's, like, the worst thing. But it, it, even so, it's like, she, they have to make it the point that, oh, she's a terrible person because she doesn't really care about him because as soon as he gets sick, she leaves. And she has to make it like, I didn't sign up to be a nursemaid. No one said you had to. You What, he can't afford? They, they apparently live well enough to live in this fancy apartment. What, he can't afford? Between the two of you, you can't afford a live-in nurse? Or something like that. Like he's he has can like there's cancer. There's literal cancer and abuse in this movie, and it's like a feel-good family picture about puppies and the love of a dog and and his boy. And it's like, what? What? Are you what? You think that's okay? You think this is okay because because the, because this is what this can't be for families it's all about abuse and cancer and dogs continually dying again it's not as egregious 
thankfully. But it's still like, like no, I'm not okay with any of this. Uh, yeah, jo not to mention that Josh Gad actively distracts from the movie. The movie's trying to be super serious, and then Josh Gad will come in with like, here's a wacky punchline. Ah, wackity schmackity doo. My owner almost got, my, almost, my owner is getting abused by her mom and her boyfriend tried to kill her, but uh-oh, it looks like I'm gonna be a puppy again. Ooh, yeah, da, 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 da. It's so, so inappropriate, and the under the thing with the granddaughter here is she wants to be a singer and yet her songs aren't they aren't bad they just like it's like everyone's like like the big thing at the end is like everyone's applauding her and she's amazing it's like i can see her getting uh, to like to the quarterfinals on american idol or you know america's got talent i don't see her winning because she's not amazing like, the songwriting is basic uh, the, the chord progressions are, you know, basic. It's all basic. It's all very basic. It's all very rudimentary. It's not like something you want to be like, you got to get this girl, girl, you understand? She's, a, she's going to be the next big thing, I tells you. And it's like, no, like, like with Lady Gaga and the A Star Is Born, uh, remake, she, her songs, you could tell were good because it's Lady Gaga who knows how to write good songs. Here, the songs are like a studio hack wrote them out in a day. Like, we need songs for the movie. Here we go. There we go. There's your songs. Now sing them. You know, it doesn't feel like, they doesn't feel emotionally driven like the songs in A Star Is Born did. It doesn't feel like they connect to anything. It feels like, here's a basic song. La da da da. It's from the guitar. And then everyone's applauding like it's the best thing they've ever heard. And I'm like, no, I would be like, you know, slight golf clap. That's a golf clap. You know, good for you. You overcame your stage fright. That's good. That's good. You, you know, you wrote a bit. You wrote a song that didn't suck. So you did the bass. You did the bass level. What else have you got? You know, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just cynical like that. Like if you if you aren't wowing me with anything, then what am I doing there? Uh, but yeah, it, this this movie is not as egregious. As the first movie was with the dog deaths, but it's still, it's, it's so bland. Like, there's no reason to watch this. They, like, there's nothing to write, once, like the songs that the girl sings in the movie, there's nothing to write home about. It's like, like, the only thing that's really going on is Dennis Quaid is actually, you know, is, you know, really likable and weird and kooky. And then, um, Abby Ryder from, um, from the, who played, who's played, um, young uh cassie lang from the mcu she's the she's the granddaughter as like a a little girl growing up uh and she's good you know you can clearly tell she's capable of doing more and you hope that she and you, and i kind of hope she gets better roles in the future because she's capable of it obviously but overall this is a nothing like why is this a thing why is so many people into this i don't get it i don't get the appeal other than puppers puppers are good doggos yes how about you play with an actual puppy instead of wasting your time watching this garbage in the x factor what's the x factor don't worry we've got it <laughs>
I had no knowledge of this book uh, as a thing. Like, I don't pay attention a lot to the bestsellers list. So if something's a big phenomenon, like, I never heard of After either until the movie came out. So I don't know where the, you know, where what the line is for these sorts of things, where it's like it becomes a phenomenon. Because apparently just being a New York Times bestseller isn't enough because I've never heard of these things until the movies came out. They didn't appear in the cultural zeitgeist, at least not in the circles I run in, which are mostly, you know, millennials and like older, you know, like people in their late 20s and early 30s. So I, I'm not familiar with what the kids, what the, I don't know what them kids are doing with their dabs and their flossings and their fortnights. But um, I'd never heard of the, of the Sun is Also a Star as a book. So I had no idea. All I could tell from the trailers was that it was going to be just unbearably pretentious. And it pretty much is. Like, it's it's acting like it's smarter than it actually is. Because the actual storyline is a generic, you know, one-time fling sort of romance story. It's like nothing to really write home about story-wise, but they just flaunt all of this stuff. Like, uh, I actually did a much long for it, and because I was like the only one in the theater for it. And it's just like this, th like it opens and closes with a Carl Sagan quote. And then there's the, like the one of the dates is uh, going to, uh, 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 the planetarium or like a, you know, you know, a play, you know, like a, like a science museum or something, but basically they watch a, a, a planet, a planetary sort of, uh, showcase sort of show. I don't know what to call it, but basically it's like a planetarium sort of thing. So they go to something sciencey for their date. And then they talk about weird, like destiny being open to the universe and the possibility of the multiverse they drop the multiverse theory and then do nothing with it it's so it's just it's like that kid who tells you that he loves rick and morty because he gets it he actually get you can't be a fan of rick and morty without actually getting it that's what this movie feels like. It feels like I'm so I'm smart. I am so smart. I am so smart. S M R T. I mean S M A R T. That's this movie in a nutshell. <laughs> it's Homer thinking he's smart, uh, because the whole premise is this girl who emigrated to the U.S. from Jamaica seems to have just completely adopted an American accent while everyone else in her family still has their native Jamaican accent. Which her parents, that makes sense. They're, they grew up in Jamaica. She lived here, lived in the United States since she was like 10. So she would have already, wouldn't she have already, like, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not an immigrant. I don't know accents, affectations. But wouldn't she have like a lilt? Like, little bit. Like, even if she adopted an American accent to, to to integrate. Yeah, you know, kids do that all the time. Wouldn't she have, like... A, she's still around a family that's from Jamaica, so wouldn't she have, like, little affectations? Like, certain words she said sound like they, she's... You know, give the hint that she's Jamaican. You know, she has, you know, Jamaican family. She's from Jamaica. She's a, she's also immigrated. She wasn't born in America. She was already she already grew up partway in Jamaica already. So it's like 
I don't know. I feel like that's an, an, like I feel like that's something that the uh, the filmmakers didn't really think about. They just hired a you know a cute black girl, and you know black girl Asian man leading couple. That's not a bad thing. Both both have ties to immigration. One's a first generation immigrant. One's the second generation immigrant. Interesting premise. Interesting idea for a story. The movie does nothing with that. Like the most it does is like rely on the stereotype of the overbearing Asian parents. And then, like, the one brother is, like, openly racist and derogatory towards, towards the, to the, towards, uh, I forget her name already, just because this movie's already left my mind. Uh, but it's, it's, but basically the, the brother of the leading man, uh, of, of the leading man is, uh, is is like openly derogatory towards the black girl and like suggesting that she's in the store like the parent because they do which is interesting too they do give some backstory on why so many black owned like hair pro hair uh salons and not and like hair care product hair care stores and all, it's all sorts of things that cater to black women and black and black hair care are owned by koreans there is an actual tie back. There is an actual reasoning for that in history. There's like a whole thing about South Koreans and getting into hair care, and apparently the fam. Apparently that's what the leading man's family is. And then, uh, when 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 uh he brings her to their family store, uh his brother get, like insinuates that she's there to steal something, and he's like openly like racist to this girl, and like. It's okay because he's the love, but it, but the, like no, he's never really held accountable for his actions. He's just like an asshole, just a complete unrepented asshole, and then never really learns anything. It just—I mean, not that he has to, but I mean, like you're writing the story, can't you just like have him finally come to terms with the fact that he's an asshole or something like that? I don't know. Uh, maybe the book does it better, but and then then then. I forget where it was, but there was this really, really tasteless reference to 9-11. Uh, I forget what it was in the... But the, that's the kind of the thing this movie is. It's like, it wants to sound smart and deep and poetic, and it just isn't. It's all surface level. It's all surface level affectations of smartness. And not... Uh, and none of and none of the uh, actual depth of intelligence that you can see and stuff like this isn't it wants to try and quote carl sagan like it actually understands what carl sagan is talking about but it's just surface level stuff like it's just and the girl in this movie is openly like cynical i don't believe in love i believe in science and things that i can observe and it's observable fact and then like partway through the movie it's just that whole idea of her is dumped you know the idea of her being this you know, very logic-driven person is ne is never really brought up again. It's just then she's just a normal girl. Also, she's like weirdly obsessed with doing everything she can to stay in America, even though it's like literally last minute and there's nothing they can do. So like, if she's just going around harassing people to let her stay in America, even though technically the best thing to do to stay in America is to marry. An Amer American. I thought that's where they were going. I thought they were going with like a rushed, like citizenship, uh, wedding sort of thing with the love interest, but that didn't really go anywhere. This whole movie has felt like just just a waste of my time. Honestly, it's like 
you know, it's somebody who's pretending they're smart and talking smart to you, but the more you talk to them, the more you realize that they're just a vap they're just as vapid as the people they claim to hate. So, yeah, it it once it tries to act smart, but then no, never proves to be smart. It's just yet another, you know, crappy teen romance story. That may just be the movie. The book may I have no idea about the book. The book may be smarter and then Hollywood dumbed it down for all I know, but I, I, but this doesn't make me want to read it either, so it is what it is. I always wanted to date a cheerleader. Now I know you're scared. I'm scared too. But there's someone I'd rather go out there with. I've never had a grandma before, and now it's like I have eight. You're one of us now, except with higher boobies. <laughs> Last one for last week was Palms. Uh, it's a first-time feature film for the, for a beginning screenwriter, his first feature, and a documentarian. It's her first like narrative, like fictional film, and ultimately they just seem to be workmen. Like they seem to just be there for because they're able-bodied and they probably came cheap because ultimately this plays out exactly like book club did um in terms of its tone its candor it's what it was trying to do so i feel like the producers had more of a say in how this went than the filmmakers did but yeah it's 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 an odd movie it was mostly average though like the comedy is fine uh diane keaton is good uh oh what's her name um the one girl who's like the really openly sexual uh, character, the Blanche, I call her, of um, of the movie. Oh, God, I forget her name. What's the actress's Jack Jackie Weaver? I think it's Jackie Weaver. Let me pull up IMDb. What, Mama? You do? Do you remember her name? Do you remember her name? What's What's the lady's name? Do you remember? Do you remember what the lady's name is? Then what help are you? It's all box office mojo for the weekend. Let's let me see what's in theater. Here we go. Uh, coming? No, it's not. I need in theaters. Palms. Jackie Weaver. Yeah, I was right. Um, yeah, basically she is. The Blanche of the group, she's the most openly uh, sexual and provocative of the ones. Um, but, uh, and, and, but yeah, it's... And, and you know, uh, Pam Greer, it's nice to see her again. Uh, the one thing I'll say is the antagonist plan doesn't make any sense. Like, the main antagonist of the retirement home where they're at. Like, she just... She has to stop this cheerleading squad, whatever it costs! Whatever it takes! And there's no reason why. It's just it's just because like there's no reason for it to keep for her to keep trying to shut down the cheerleaders. When you know, like she cannot make it an official club, but she doesn't have to like do everything in her power to shut it down. That doesn't make any sense. But uh, yeah, it, I mean, this is this is basically. Um, you know, the kind of movie you would take your mom to or your grandma, and they would love it. 
they would probably love it depending on your grandma and your mom but this is definitely catered to an older female demographic just like book club was and i feel like it's it's not very well crafted it's not it's very basic a lot of it is very basic um the i will say it's very it only it, up until the end like the main the the main like antagonistic cheerleaders the mean girls that the that the um that the older that the older women run into, their their cheerleading outfits are look like they were bought from a Halloween store, like full on like sexy cheerleader. It's like the kind of stuff that it's like, oh, um, I know a guy in the porn porn business. We can borrow some of his uh cheerleading outfits for the pornos they make. That's how that's how t- like it's all belly shirts and like halter tops. Until the very end. And it's all one layer of fat. Like. Here's the thing. I. You know. I didn't. I didn't. Know any. Cheerleaders directly. I didn't hang out with cheerleaders. But in high school. And college. Even. Just. Walking around. You would see the cheerleaders in their outfits. It's multi. Like. We're talking like multi-layered. Fabrics. Like. We're talking like layered. Like very. Very well designed costumes uh for both the march you know marching band and cheerleaders also not skimpy they're not they're they they've made an effort in the modern day to and even back then cheerleader outfits were never really skimpy they were fairly intricately designed that i mean depending on who who's paying for it they're usually intricately designed even the dancer outfits are well crafted outfits so i mean like they're not paying you're not getting like the cheap one fabric clothing with like like the kind of stuff you 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 would make for a beginning costume designer like that's what these clothes look like like the official high school outfit looks like they're about ready to shoot a porno did nobody put an effort into making these outfits look authentic like did they just with i guess nobody thought they would care because also, the dances look way too provocative for a da- for a cheerleading squad. It feels like it was, that's one that one bit was one of the producers like, no, the outfits have got to be skimpy. We got to see them belly buttons. Mm, yeah, make sure they jiggle their asses when they dance, sir. You do realize these aren't trippers. These are high school cheerleaders in the movie. These are high school cheerleaders. I'm very well aware of that fact. Do you want to make this movie or not? Uh, that's that's part of what it feels like, and then by the end, it's actual cheerleading. It's actual well choreographed sequences for the most for the younger people, and then for the older people, it's you know fairly basic. And but the, at least the costuming looks like actual cheerleading uniforms, and not like the kind of stuff you buy at a Halloween store for a sexy cheerleader outfit, or for you know role play, or for a porn shoot. You know, which is all oh, very weird. Very weird and off-putting, but uh, yeah, it's it was a fine movie. It was perfectly average, and they failed the landing without giving away too much. They and they forced this whole like meme viral sensation at the end. And when Hollywood tries to fictionalize a viral sensation, it always feels like that scene from Thirty Rock where Steve Buscemi walks up like, "How do you do, fellow kids?" <laughs> it's that's hollywood doing that trying to feel relevant 
and in the know. It definitely feels like your grandma trying to floss. You know, like, this is how you do it, right? This is how you floss? Y- y- yes, okay, sure sure thing, Grandma. Just please stop. Please stop. I'm going to go viral like the smallpox took away my whole family. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that went somewhere. Uh, but yeah, this, it, it, this whole... This whole sensation they tried to... It, it's all manufactured, and it never came from anything. It was forced into the very end of the movie, and it just tanked the whole thing. It's like, oh, you were just fine before. What is all this? It's so unnecessary. They definitely felt like, look, we're hip. We're hip. We're hip and with it. You know, I have... I actually have a hip again. Shut up, Geraldine. No one's talking to you. We're trying to floss. All right. Yeah, that's enough of this nonsense. Yeah, it, it's it's an average comedy. Tanks on the landing, but it's fine. It you know I'm not it, I'm not gonna dog anybody for liking this movie. It's it's perfectly serviceable. It 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 is what it is. It, it's it, it caters to its audience, and I'm sure they'll love it. With that said, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. That was all of the previous weeks. Uh, that would have been the weekend of. May the 17th, uh, and I would say that John Wick was my pick of the week, and my unpopped kernel would have been The Sun is Also a Star. That was the one I liked watching the least. This is the, That's the one I would absolutely not recommend anybody go see, but uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about this weekend's releases, starting with Disney's Aladdin, the crappy live-action one, not the good one. want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, A Good Ghoul's Guide to Horror. Oh! On the gummy cat Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane you will find a kind of truth more terrifying I thought a princess could go anywhere. Not this princess. Do you trust me? A Don't you dare close your eyes. A Hold your breath, it gets This is one of those cases where we're leading off with the unpopped kernel of the week. I'm sorry to say that this, that the Disney Aladdin remake just hit me in all the wrong places. Just absolutely despised this movie. And I'm seeing a lot, getting a lot more praise than I think it deserves. Because, like, 
I'm not saying people shouldn't like it and that they're wrong for liking it. If people got enjoyed this, I can't tell them not to. But this movie just hit all of the points of why I think these remakes are pointless. This is worse than the Beauty and the Beast remake. Because, uh, like, it opens up with a weird softening of the lyrics. Like, we can't, we have to make it soulless and edgeless and, you know, nice and squishy for the kitties. When the first one was like, it was fine. It was fine. You know, like the opening lyrics of like, uh, where the sun in the west, da 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 da. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. You know, he's talking about the, like, it's not. The original line was offensive. That was about where they cut off your hand if they don't like your face. It's barbaric. Yeah, that's 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 not that's that's very you know European mindset of the Middle East. But but uh the but the real you know, remade line was about the desert being barbaric. The desert's barbaric. It's not talking about the people. It's talking about the landscape. So now it's like, it's chaotic, but hey, it's home? Like, it, it, the, the change doesn't add anything. It's a minor change to take away the term barbaric when barbaric was not referring to the people living there, it was referring to the landscape. It's a weird change that didn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, also, Will Smith cannot sing. Will Smith cannot sing. You hired a man to play the genie who could not sing. If you didn't want him to sing, that would be fine. You hired him to sing. He cannot sing. And so he, it, it, it's not even like they just turn all the songs into hip hop songs and make him rap the lyrics. They don't, they don't do that at all, really. He barely, do, he barely does it. He's all, it's all like his weird talk singing, where if I extend the, Extend the way that I talk. It's like I'm actually singing. Da 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 da. Talking with the beat is actually singing. Am I right? No. It, it, it. At work, we were talking about uh, how Jamie Foxx is this super mega talent. He's one Tony away from the EGOT, and he is very you know he's a classically trained singer and musician, and he's a you know well trained comedy com you know com you know comic with a lot of improv skills. He would have been perfect for the genie. He can sing. He can do comedy. Will Smith hasn't been. A, Will Smith wasn't hasn't been like funny, funny since the Fresh Prince, and all of his funny, funny roles have all been off of that Fresh Prince energy. And now it's like he's like the old man trying to be hip and fun again. And it's like it, he's a bad fit for the genie. Personally, I just don't think he's that good. Not to mention that they don't make him look that great, but, um, you know, that's that's Disney's effect uh, department's problem, not Will Smith. I'm not going to blame Will Smith for the effects department. Um, but yeah, it, not to mention that, just like with uh, Beauty and the Beast, this whole plot, they, they seem to be really into rushing the plot of the first movie. Dumbo did this too, where they just rushed the plot of the first movie in order to get like all the beats in at the same time. Eh, we gotta get this, then we get this, then we get this, then then this. And it's like, slow down! You don't need to just rush everything! Cause they don't add anything either. They don't really add anything. They just rush all of the plot beats so we get them all in the same time. Like all of the introduction 
to, uh, like, that whole beginning. The whole beginning is just condensed into, like, 20 minutes. So, like, we open with Aladdin in the marketplace running. We don't open with Jafar in the desert. That's done during the opening song. We don't open with the sto- It's, it's, it's so forced and rushed. And it's like, slow the hell down, you guys. You have the time. Ugh. But yeah, so they rush all the, they rush the plot, and then Jafar and Jasmine get these weird uh, developments, but they don't improve the character. Like Jafar gets more of a backstory, and yet he's still the stereotypical mustache twirling villain by the end. So it didn't matter, didn't amount to anything. Jasmine is now just one. It's not just she wants her freedom and she wants to you know be with who she wants. You know, she doesn't want to be forced into being married off like property. She wants to be free, make her own decisions. It's now she wants to be sultan. Jasmine wants to run for president 2020. Like, okay, I I get what they're going for, but it didn't feel in line with her character as we know it. Like, Jasmine was just about being free-willed and being her own person and being her own thing and doing her own things and making her own decisions, not being forced. You know, she was not a prize to be won. She was a person. Here, it's like, I need to be sultan and I know everything and I'm smart. I'm so smart and I know things. And it feels like they're trying to boost up Jasmine even more, but then never really defining her character outside of that. Like, she still does, goes through the same plot points as the as the last movie, Jasmine. But the whole plot point of the last movie, Jasmine, was about being free and making her own decisions and actually falling in love with Aladdin. Here, it's like, I want to be Sultan. That has nothing to do with the rest of the plot. That's just, that's my subplot. Also, her original song that they wrote for her, for Naomi Scott in this movie, is terrible. Naomi Scott is the one person in this movie can si who can sing, and they give her a terrible song to sing. It's so banal and, and basic level pop music that does not fit any of the other songs. It's so out of place. It does not fit at all, and, she, and it sucks. And Naomi Scott is the only person who can actually sing, and they gave her a song that sucks. Oh, yeah, it's, I could go on and on, like, not to mention the fact that there's this really terrible editing. Nothing about this feels like a Guy Ritchie movie either. Like, at least Dumbo felt in parts like it was a Tim Burton movie. The Alice in Wonderland remake felt like a Tim Burton movie. Not good Tim Burton, obviously, but, you know, if you felt like his, his, his style was there, his re, his reason for being was there, he brought his own artistic presence to the movie what does Guy Ritchie bring to this movie? Nothing. You know what would have been better? Picture this. Instead of hiring any generic white guy Hollywood director, you hired a Bollywood director. You co-produced this movie with a Bollywood production company. You made Aladdin, the live action movie, an American Bollywood, Hollywood Bollywood collaboration. Because they co-opt plenty of imagery from Bollywood. There's a whole dance sequence that feels like it was ripped straight out of Bollywood. And then nothing else is ever Bollywood again. Imagine 
if this was a co-production with a Bollywood studio and it was this mixing of the two and you and you made it a Bollywood production but brought to you by Disney with the budget of a Disney movie. That would have been something! That would have been a thing! That would have warranted the reason for its existence! But no! This is strictly Iger saying, yo, my, dig deeper! We have to mine the nostalgia until we get all of the money! We can't have any new ideas because they don't, because, because new things don't make money like old things do. And unfortunately, he's been proven right. This Iger era of Disney is the worst, I swear to God. It's been the most profitable, but it's been the least artistically driven of, of any of the Disney eras. This is worse than the, than the Xerox era of Disney, where they literally just copied and traced over animation cells. That's why there were so many things like Bambi's mom shows up in both the Jungle Book and the Rescuers. Um, like, literally the same animation cells were traced over and reused. I don't even know if they were traced over. But yeah, they were just completely reused in Xerox. The Xerox era was a really dark time in animation for Disney. And yet... This, I think, is the worst. This era of Iger's Disney where, like, sure, the animation department is making decent content, at least. Zootopia's great. Um, you know, starting with Tangled, that whole, this whole CG era of Disney has been solid for the most part. And now we're just relying on sequels with Frozen 2 and Wreck-It Ralph 2 and... I, I, I haven't seen any announcement. They canceled their uh, Jack and the Beanstalk movie that they were going to do. Um, so now it seems to just be like pumping out sequels to stuff. It's like it's like Eisner with the directed video stuff, only it's an actual theater and that's the only stuff they're making. And then the live action stuff is just rehashes of all their old properties. You know, just mind the vault. Remember when the Disney vault was introduced and it was like when you... It was like a magical, supposed to be like a magical thing for the vault, the vault to reopen and for this movie to come back. Now it's just like, the vault's open, we're throwing everything out of it just because we need all the money we can get now. We need the money now. And it's just, it's so short-sighted. And I don't, I, I doubt that anybody, except for maybe the kids who grew up with them, going back and rewatching any of these live action stuff, but I could be wrong. I just, I don't feel the passion and the love. There's also this weird bit, uh, during the, during the Jasmine song reprise where it's like every, all of a sudden like Thanos snapped his fingers and everyone turns to dusk and then Jasmine's all by herself. It's so weird. It's this weird thing. That's, once again, the soul movie feels it just joyless. For me, none of the joy of that original movie is in there because, for one thing, the genie was specifically written for Robin Williams. So don't try to have Will Smith pretend to be Robin Williams because he's not. Make the genie something else. Also, Nassim Pedrad is literally at the only only in here so she can be the love interest for the genie and have his kids. I don't care if that's a spoiler. Nassim Pedrad is specifically added to be a love interest and so the genie can have kids. Because this movie is stupid, it's it's poor. It's easily it's easily figure you easily figure that out from the opening. As soon as Nassim Pedrad and Genie see each other, you can clearly tell what's going on in the opening. 
uh, just everything about this I, I hate. I hate, I hate. I have hope. I have higher hopes for The Lion King, though, because at least Jon Favreau has proved, has made the best of the Disney live action remake, because at least that's one improved on the first one. I don't know where he can improve on Lion King a lot, uh, but we'll see how he handles it. Um, we'll see with that come July, but yeah, Disney's Aladdin. I'm sorry. I I I hate this. I absolutely hate this. <laughs> no, 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 no. Brightburn. I want to do good, Mom. I do. Reddit R starts Thursday night, May twenty third. Well, this is a sort of a weird middle ground. I don't hate it, but I don't really love it either. Um, Brightburn is essentially evil Superman. It's the whole premise of the movie. And that would have been a lot more shocking and, you know, like, interesting if DC didn't already mind that, you know, vein dry. You know, they if they didn't already mind that vein dry with stuff like Injustice and Man of Steel and just... All these different ways of, like, we have to make Superman edgy and interesting, like Batman. It's like, you've completely missed the point of Superman. Congratulations. And trying to make Superman more like Batman, you've completely forgotten why he's why people like him as Superman. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is, you know, beat almost beat for beat, like, an evil version of Superman. And the other problem is it teeters a bit too close for comfort on the uh, sympathy for the school shooter. Uh, part of the reason, you know, like, uh, uh, not, that's not to say that, you know, the, those sorts of kids don't, shouldn't be, like, looked at and stories shouldn't be told looking at what happened. But the, the focus should be more on the victims, not so much the, sh the shooters themselves. Whereas this focuses specifically on the, shoot, on, on the shooter in that he is Superman. You know, he's evil, he's a little evil bastard Superman. And... The other problem is his reasons for being evil aren't aren't really ironed out. It's just like it's it's, all, it's almost like they're trying to go for a weird nature versus nurture thing, but they don't really connect that well. Um, not to mention the fact that the characters themselves aren't really consistent either. Like Banks, Elizabeth Banks will go from being just diehard support of her son love her son no matter what, to, oh my god, my son is the devil incarnate, I must kill him. And it's like, where is she at? Like, there's no logical procession to it, it's just whatever the scene demands of her. I think that's the problem, is that it's very, it, it, it doesn't, it's not very coherent in that regard. And this is, I think, their first movie. This is from the brother and cousin of James Gunn, which is pretty much the only reason it got made, it's nepotism. But... They had an interesting premise. I mean, evil Superman. And, you know, if you had something with that, you could make it work. But ultimately, it just it's just kind of a middling thing. Like, compared to Injustice and Man of Steel, this is a less interesting evil Superman. And I'm going to say that Man of Steel is evil Superman because he's clearly not regular Superman because he's so written out of character. He's written completely out of character. Snyder's version of Superman is evil Superman. He's the kind of version of that super the actual Superman would have to fight to save the save the multiverse or something like that. 
He's like Superboy Prime as Superman. I'll say, I'll, yeah, I'll say that. Man of Steel is basically Superboy Prime becoming Superman. I guess that would be more Injustice. Injustice is more Superboy Prime because Superboy Prime went full on just like bratty kid evil. That's kind of what Injustice turned into, weirdly. That's a whole universal idea is stupid. Man, I man, I don't like the premise to Injustice. Not a bad game. Not bad games, but the premise is so stupid and out of character. But whatever. Um, yeah, the kid's all right in this. Um, I think he's a newcomer. I haven't seen him in anything else. He's all right. But they don't really, you know, he's not very consistent either. Sometimes you don't know if the kid that they raised was being the good kid. And then it's like this alien presence is controlling him. But then now, then he turned into little Damien and he's a little snot kid, not snot nosed kid. And he's a brat. But like, what is his motivation? What is his you know, personality like? What like his because they initially play him off as super innocent and childlike. Then all of a sudden he's now psychotic and ma- this evil mastermind of things, and it's like, what 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 like it doesn't feel once again it doesn't feel coherent. It's not a through line. Uh, also, also they try to bait it, give a sequel bait. At the end, uh, with, like, this whole idea of the, this bigger universe going on, of, like, the evil Justice League, which I'm guessing is their, you know, the, the criminal, the, the you know, the, crim, the crime syndicate, I think is what it's called, with uh, Ultraman and, uh, and Owlman and that whole universe where the Justice League are the bad guys. I forget what it's, I think it's crime syndicate, but, um, yeah, that's way cooler than the actual movie itself, uh. And it's all told to us by a much more interesting cameo that, you know, if you know James Gunn movies, then you know who it is probably. But yeah, just I, I, the only other thing I will say it adds is a little bit of gore. Like it's it, it's a little excessive, but not like splash zone. Like there's not blood and guts everywhere, but it, you know, it doesn't, you know, but it doesn't shy away from being a little gory either. It's it's fine. It's. It, it was beaten, the, the shock of evil killer, serial killer Superman was already, you know, was already, the well, that well was mostly dry by that point, so they're most, they're, so they're just getting muddy water at the bottom, but, you know, it's not like they add anything new either, which would have been fine, like, if they added something to make it more interesting, they would have been, then the, then the fact that the premise has been done wouldn't be a problem, but... They don't really do anything with it. They just kind of be like, hey, evil Superman, and go. That's it. That's all we got. So, whatever. We ask the questions! Oh, my God. But what can I say? Ah! Well, this seems excessive. Shotgun. Just kidding. I don't have one. Don't say we're having a date night. Why? It's funny your parents think we're boning. What you two have is special. We are going to show each other how much we care about each other. We'll probably just do a Korean face mask. I don't need to know all the words. We end the reviews with my pick of the week. Uh, For this week, the 24th uh, Memorial Day weekend. My pick of the week is Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, Booksmart. Uh... It is almost, you know, it's a really well-crafted movie. It's 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 four to five star, depending on who you are. I think I gave it a four and a half out of five, but it's definitely a really high, you know, high quality, high caliber movie. Um, 
the basic premise here is these two girls, these the, the valedictorian and salutatorian of this high school are these two nerdy girls who, um, one of whom is very bossy and very, you know, demanding. The other is much more shy and introverted. Um, the two of them realize, the one of them realizes the one played by, I want to say Beanie Feldstein. Is that it? Uh, what is it? Let me pull up, uh, in theaters, John Wick, Avengers, Pokemon, Hustle, Intruder, Longshots, and there's also a star Palm, the Ugly Dolls. See, all movies in theaters. Here we go. You want book smart. There we go. Beanie Feldstein, I was right, uh, and Caitlin Dever are, um, Beanie Feldstein you might know from, uh, she was the one friend of, um, Chloe Grace Moretz in, uh, Neighbors 2, she was the character Nora, she's on the, uh, What We Do in the Shadows TV series, she was in Girls Like You, weird, uh, she was also, uh, one of, I think the best friend in Lady Bird, uh, she plays the main, the main character, the valedictorian, uh, I forget what her name is, Molly. And then Caitlin Dever is uh, the more introverted uh, Amy. And the two of them uh, kind of, and the two of them uh, make this deal to to attend, you know, kind of get all their partying out. Because Molly realizes that while she was focusing so much on being the best and getting to a good college, all of the other kids in her school are going to good colleges and like one kid is just going straight to Google and like all of her hard work didn't amount to anything more than what what the other kids were doing because like yeah she's she's the valedictorian and she's you know got the best you know and she you know she's the best at her high school but they're all going to good colleges you know some through money some through their own grades because they all did well enough to get into good colleges. So it's like all of her hard work at being the best didn't amount to anything when the people that she thought she was better than are going to the same place, you know, are going to all the same places. Uh, so she and Amy decide to, and she kind of coaxes Amy into going into go, going to these parties, going to this specific party, and it becomes the journey to go to this party. It's very 48-hour sort of farcical, like we're just trying to get to this one place and, and we keep getting sidetracked and detoured. Um... But yeah, it's it's a I I think it's it's a lot of fun. Um, the actors are all solid. You got also a great supporting cast here. Jason Sudeikis is their principal. Uh, Lucy Kudrow and Will Forte are Amy's parents. Uh, Jessica Williams is their te is their uh, cool teacher. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, and I think the best actor in the movie is uh, Billy Lord, who is um, the daughter of uh, I think Brian Lord and Carrie Fisher. Uh, she is the best part of this movie for me. She is the highlight for it. She just, she starts off, like, at first I didn't even recognize her, and then I start to catch on that that's her, and I'm like, oh my god, I love this character, because she keeps getting crazier and crazier as the night goes on, and I love it. Uh, she's, she gives the best performance. She is the highlight of this whole movie. I love it. Um... But, and while it is very honest, because that's the thing, Amy is, uh is an op is openly gay uh but she and she has this crush on this girl who's played by a skateboard an actual skateboarder not an actor uh, who does all right for herself um she's not expected to do a whole lot acting wise but uh 
Amy's got a crush on her and is trying to get with her to this party. And it becomes about, and it, it's a very honest look at like young lesbian exploration and not having any idea of what you're doing as a teenager and as a lesbian. So like she has no idea what she's doing twice over. She doesn't get a lot of sex in at all. So she doesn't have a lot of experience. Uh, so it's very honest about that. And yet at the same time, the two coded gay characters are these two theater kids and they're just openly over the top flamboyant. And like the one character dresses in drag uh, later on in the movie. And I feel like it's a lot less, it's a lot more um, stereotypical towards the gay, to the towards the male gay characters than towards the female ones, which are much more down to earth and realistic. So I feel like that was a mistake. I feel like that was um, a bad way to go about things. Like, like, sure, have those characters exist. I'm not saying they shouldn't exist, but have, you know, more variety in the gay characters you have rather than just the only two openly gay male characters you have being flamboyant, you know, stereotypes. But, uh, not to mention the other problem I have is their idea of feminism is, like, being over the top, like, women and women's empowerment. Like, the two characters, Amy and Molly have this thing called Malala, named after... Mal uh, Mal named after the you know the young girl who's become a very vocal women's rights advocate uh, in the Middle East. Uh, what, you know, uh, was it Yusuf? I don't want to say Yusuf. Mal Let me see. Malala should probably be the first thing that comes up. Yusuf Yusufzai, Mal Malala Yusufzai, I believe. That's how you pronounce that. If I'm wrong, please correct me. I don't want to mispronounce her name. But yeah, the Pakistani uh, activist Malala. Uh, and so they have a thing going on where they go back and forth like, Malala, that's our thing where it's like, you have to believe me and go with me on this 100%. And okay, that's a bit much. That's a, that's a fair bit over the top, I'll say. Just like name dropping Malala as like a thing between these two characters Ultimately, it's not unrealistic because, I mean, nerds do weird stuff like that all the time. So it's like, believe it's not too far-fetched to believe that these two very feminist, like, very, you know, you know, nerdy high school girls would come up with a thing that praises their one, you know, a great figure uh, for, to them. You know, it's like a thing between the two of them. Uh... But, oh, but yeah, so, like, there's little bits of things that kept it from being, like, a full-on perfect movie. That and, like, these, the uh, stop-motion animation, there's a cool stop-motion animated sequence that looks really off-putting. Like, they didn't get the best stop-motion people for it because the faces look so weird. The faces look like the faces from that weird uh, Tom Sawyer animated thing where he meets the devil and the devil commits genocide. Uh, yeah, that was a thing. Uh, I think it was like the Mark Twain, you know, like the adventures of Mark Twain or something like that, where he takes his characters on this weird adventure through time and space. Kids movies were weird in the eighties. Uh, that said, uh, I will say the overall theme of never judging a book by its cover, like all of these characters, Molly and Molly has been so judgmental of the people around her. And throughout the movie, she begins to learn about all these characters that, Aside from the two flamboyantly gay male characters. Um, but overall, like, 
the uh, character she characterized as a you know the person she characterized as a slut. She's much you know much smarter and much more much more caring and and honest than Molly gave her credit for. Um, the uh, you know the you know there's that whole, the, one of the impetuses for the plot is she's in this you know non gender bathroom uh, where both male and female students and non-identifying, you know, what a non-gender identity, a very inclusive bathroom. And so, uh, three characters show up there and, uh, Molly kind of shows, they kind of put her down. She stands up to them and it's like, yeah, well, I'm smart and I'm going to this great school. And then the one girl that, um, is given the nickname triple A because she gives roadside assistance, uh, tell, tells her off by saying, yeah, we're going to the same Ivy League college. And this other kid is like, yeah, I'm going to another Ivy League college. And, and then like this weird stoner kid is like, no, I'm not going to college. I'm actually going directly to Google. Uh, my coding skills are, I mean, it's not Apple, but it's, you know, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting like six figures a year. So it's like these characters, these kids around her are going to the same Ivy League colleges as she is, but she put in all this work and they, and she believes they didn't. And it's her realizing that she was wrong overall. And I love, and I think that's a great message to showcase that this character has to realize that she was in the wrong and she has to, you know, make a, make amends for that. And, uh, you know, realize that in order for her to get, be better, be a better person is to not be so judgmental of those around her. Uh, so yeah. Um, I'll say this, Booksmart is not perfect, but, if, you know, in the recent string of all these really good coming-of-age movies, um, you know, things like Edge of Seventeen, Lady Bird, um, oh god, what was the other one, uh, Love, Simon, like, all of these really solid coming-of-age movies that we've been getting recently, especially from, like, indie producers like Annapurna was, produced this one, uh, A A24 gave us a, gave us a bunch, um, I think Neon has a couple coming out as well. Uh, all these smaller indie studios and also coming from these first-time directors, uh, aside from, uh, Greta, I think, Greta Gerwig? Not Greta Gerwig. Who, who directed Lady Bird? Hold on. Here. Beanie Feldstein. Lady Bird. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon to get to this... Pro, to get to the, yeah, I was right. Greta Gerwig. Um... Aside from Greta Gerwig, like a lot of these have been coming from first-time actors turned directors. This is from Olivia Wilde, mid '90s was from Jonah Hill. Um, I think Edge of Seventeen was the only one that maybe I think I think there was another first-timer. But yeah, all these coming-of-age movies are like the first step for these new directors and writers, and it, and it's and it's a great proving ground because if you can nail the idea of these coming-of-age story. You, it showcases that you have the capability of handling these very complex and tumultuous times uh, for for people, and that you can handle good drama and good storytelling. So, yeah, uh, this is definitely top tier of those new uh, coming of age stories. So, good on you, Olivia Wilde. I can't wait to see what you do next. So, with all the reviews out of the way, uh, let's take a look. Uh, at the week that was well, this past week, I'm not gonna worry about the previous weekend. I might give the highlights of like who was number one, but let's take a look at the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. I decided to actually wait until 
the day of this release, hopefully, uh, Tuesday the 28th of May 2019, uh, to perfectly timestamp this, uh, to get a better look at the full Memorial Day gross of the weekend. And not because I was a tired boy who who who, who didn't feel like finishing the episode on Monday. Uh, anyway, before we go into the Memorial Day weekend, let's take a look at uh, previous weekend, the one I missed, the the seventeenth through the nineteenth. Uh, that weekend saw um, ugly dolls and palms dropping out of the top seven. The Sun is also a star, didn't even premiere in the top seven. Uh, top seven that weekend was Longshot, The Intruder, The Hustle, Dog's Journey, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, Endgame, and then John Wick Chapter 3, I believe, was the first um the the first movie to knock Avengers out of the top out, out of the number one spot. But that's mainly because by that point Avengers was making $29 million and then John Wick came in with $50 million opening weekend so good for john wick uh now we take a look to the memorial day weekend uh out of the top seven are uh the hustle the intruder and long shot those are just out of the top seven now the sun is also star dropped below disney's dumbo remake which saw a weird resurgence over the weekend i'm not sure how that worked <laughs> maybe because disney d d i don't know this uh the day of this episode, I also just watched uh, Cody Shoddy, uh, some more news over on YouTube. And he kind of broke down a lot of the big issues with Disney right now. So I would not be surprised if he told theaters, like, look, Aladdin's coming into theaters. We also want you to bring Dumbo back. But Dumbo's almost all on its way out. Bring Dumbo back or you don't get Aladdin. That's kind of how Disney does business anymore. Disney's a garbage company that makes things I like. I hate it. I hate it. I hate that it that way, but that's what it is. Anyway, top seven Memorial Day weekend. We have a dog's journey, which brought in five and a half million dollars, bringing its domestic gross up to sixteen point three million dollars, and full worldwide gross up to this point is forty-seven point nine million dollars. I'm gonna have to pull up the Wikipedia because it decided not to do it. I really wish they'd cross-reference these things so they would all they're all in the same exact source they are each source has it and they can just tie back into oh look wikipedia doesn't have it either oh fun so they just not tell us how much how much this movie costs to make sure sure i know we're not supposed to know these things but you know when i'm talking about movies it would be nice to know uh going off the last movie that made that cost 20 million dollars to make so overall it's successful it's not as wildly successful as the dog's purpose was which like earned 200 million dollars but it's made back its money it's fine i really doubt uh, i mean if this series is going to continue i'm assuming it's just going to be through like a streaming service or like made for tv movies because honestly that's where this belongs personally that's the kind of that you know this is the kind of stuff you'd walk on, watch on the hallmark channel on like a sunday afternoon anyway uh, n premiering at number six this past weekend was Booksmart, which brought in $8.6 million, almost 8.7, and cost, over to Wikipedia, if I were a good, uh, content creator, I would, <laughs> I, I would have these things made 
I would have these things pulled up already, but I am not. No word on the budget for this one either. So no idea how successful this was, but I hope it's I hope it I hope it does good because it's it, it's a good movie. Uh, at num premiering at number five was Evil Superman Brightburn, which brought in nine point five million dollars and uh, throw throw in a bit extra from the foreign markets, brought in seventeen point three opening weekend. And that's more than double its budget, so it's already broken even. So we'll see if uh, they actually decide to do a sequel, like they've been, uh, te like they teased at at the end of the at the movie. So we'll see. Uh, dropping from three to four was Detective Pikachu, which brought in seventeen million dollars, uh, bringing its domestic gross up to one hundred twenty million, and its worldwide gross so far up to three hundred fifty-eight million dollars, well double its budget. So, wildly successful. Definitely expect more from, um, from the, from uh, Legendary Pictures. I couldn't remember their name for a second, but yes, expect more of the Legendary Pokeverse, uh, Pokemon Cinematic Universe from them. Uh, dropping from two to three this weekend was Avengers Endgame, which brought twenty two point three million dollars in, bringing its domestic gross up to eight hundred and three point six million dollars. I don't know if that means it's. I think it has to hit a billion domestically to break the to break the record. I'm not sure, but overall, two point six billion dollars. It's still successful. It's still a record-breaking movie. So it's just re reaching for like the Avatar Titanic uh, records now, which are all owned by Disney. Fun fact. <laughs> anyway, John Wick Chapter Three. Number dropped from one to two. This weekend brought in thirty-one million dollars, bringing its domestic gross up to a hundred and seven point six million dollars. And with the and with the addition of the worldwide uh, of the foreign markets, brought in a hundred and eighty-two million dollars overall. And if we take a look at Wikipedia, chapter three, Parabellum, budget was seventy-five million dollars. So more than double its budget. It's already a success after two weekends, so expect John Wick Chapter 4 sometime in the future. Have they announced Chapter 4 yet? Let me see. Sequel. 2019, following the film's successful debut, announced to give it a May 2021 release date. So John Wick Chapter 4 is already in the works. So I think they probably had it set out, and they were just waiting for the movie to be successful, because if, if it tanked, they'll be like, okay, yeah, we're going to end it here. But it's continued to be a wildly successful franchise for them so expect chapter four in 2021 and then premiering at number one to the shock of no one is the aladdin remake which brought in 112.7 million dollars this this weekend domestically foreign markets pretty much doubled that bring making its um making its worldwide uh debut weekend uh 233.7 million dollars well over its budget not fully double the budget which would include which would cover the marketing but enough enough to continue this trend of live action remakes for the next for just until it stops being successful expect expect bob Iger to continue mining the disney vault for any trap so he can make more trash that people will just gobble right the hell up i'm sorry i don't mean to be this cynical but i just 
I want these live-action remakes to do more than just badly recreate the good movie that they're remaking, you know? That's, that's what I want, but that's not what I'm going to get because Disney's a bunch of cheap bastards anymore. It's all business, no creativity. Anyway, that was the weekend's box office report, and now that we looked to the week that what weeks that were, we're going to take a look to the week ahead in Trailer Talk. Coming this summer. It's Trailer Talk. Rated R starts Friday. We have an interesting slate for the first weekend of June. Uh, yes, this is the first weekend of June. It's crazy to think about that. We're almost halfway through the year already. But the first weekend of June, uh, the first post-Memorial Day weekend, we've got a big tentpole action movie, a musical biopic, and a horror movie. We'll discuss each of them in turn. But first up, one of my most anticipated movies of 2019, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Let's take a look at that trailer. What we are witnessing here is the return of Titans. Very weird choice. I mean, it's not a bad choice with uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but... How many of these things are there? I don't know. I kind of like the Claire de Lune initially. I'm counting. Yeah, 17 Kaiju. Was that O'Shea Jackson Jr.? Is he on this? Oh, hi, it's Mothra. Oh my god, even giant, like, realistic version of Mothra is super adorable and I love her. Ghidorah. Oh my. They're moving like a pack. They're hunting. They all respond directly to an alpha. I can actually see what's going on, which is a massive improvement over the 2014 Godzilla. Is there another creature that might stand a chance against him? Oh, hi! Hey, G-Man, how's it going? <laughs> I have a feeling that uh, whoever that guy is, the Zilla guy, is gonna be is gonna is exactly who I would be. I like realistic Rodan. He's not as doofy looking as the costume Rodan. Ken Watanabe is back as Dr. Sarazawa. Great tribute, by the way. I love that they use that name, reuse that name. No, this time we join the fight. Oh, I love it. I think um the the chick from uh, I forget her name uh, the girl from uh, who plays Eleven from Stranger Things uh, is uh, psychic. So they got bring psychics into the universe now, which is a nice you know nice thing for them. This is Godzilla's world. We just live in it. Damn right. It looks like it's gonna be more B-movie and less like super serious drama of the weird soldier dude. Yeah, the, that's the thing. I re, having rewatched um, that 2014 Godzilla, it was so bent on like being this realistic, darker take on Godzilla and just, they didn't give us a character to care about. And so here it's just like, nah, 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 nah. Now we proved we can do Godzilla in live action. We did, we did this big budget Godzilla movie. We proved we can do it. Now, how about we just make an actual Godzilla movie where they're actually fighting the monsters and it's more about the monsters. Like, 
I there the, since people of in LA have already seen this. There's a lot of people talking about there's not enough people in Godzilla. It's all about the monsters, and I'm like, and they say that like it's a bad thing, but that's exactly what we wanted. There was not enough Godzilla in the Godzilla movie, and that wouldn't have that would have been fine if you gave us something to actually care about. But you gave us Soldier McSoldier Face, and he was he was boring McSoldier Face. Who cares about him? Aaron Taylor Johnson brought nothing to that role. And he was given nothing for, you know, Elizabeth Olsen, Brian Cranston, uh, Ken Watanabe, honestly. Like, if he was, if Ken Watanabe was the main character of this franchise, I would have been fine with it. We didn't need boring McSoldier face and, and him just walking through the plot of the movie. He didn't, he brought nothing to that. There was no reason for him to be there. There was no reason for his existence. We just wanted Godzilla, damn it. <laughs> Godzilla, damn it. Uh, anyway. Yes, King of the Monsters looks great, and I have yet to hear any anything that sounds bad to me. Like, more kaiju? Less humans? That's what I want. It's a kaiju movie. We don't need to worry about the humans so much. Um, but I, that does make me think, who were those... I, I don't remember the girl's name, uh, but she's expanding out from uh, Stranger Things. I know that. Um... Oh, Kyle Chandler. Wait, is Kyle Chandler also in Stranger Things? No, he was Manchester by the Sea, Friday Night Lights. Um, oh, he's in that Catch. He's in that Catch Twenty Two thing for Hulu. I do need to check that out. Um, for a second there, I thought, did they just borrow the cast of Stranger Things? No, uh, Kyle Chandler. But I did. I thought I recognized him. So yeah, he's in this. Uh, Z Zhang um, is in this. Uh, Best known for um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, The Grandmaster, and she was also in Memoirs of a Geisha. Uh, it's like, yeah, if you know, um, she's a, she's one of the more prominent uh, Chinese actresses, uh, and she's is that her with Ken? What the? Oh my God! This is a reunion of the two of these two from Memoirs of a Geisha. Ha! Ah, uh, ah, oh, funny. Anyway, um. Bradley Whitford. I, I, I thought that was him. I thought that was him. Bradley Whitford is the guy, was the guy who was like, Zilla. He seems like he's going to be fun. Uh, Thomas Middleditch is in this. Is I thought that was O'Shea Jackson Jr. Yes. Uh, David Strathairn is back um, from the first movie. Uh, Sally Hawkins is in this. Uh, Vera Farmiga is in this. Millie Bobby Brown uh, is the girl I'm thinking of from, who, from Stranger Things. And she is going to be... Oh, she was young Alice in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Okay. Um, yeah, she's going to be in... Uh, uh, she's she's going to be this psychic kid, which is kind of... It's kind of, um, you know, typecasting her as the psychic... As the little psychic girl. But, you know, hey, she's going to be in a Godzilla movie. So I think I, I'm. It looks like she's gonna have a blast too. Like the her, like her smiling in between Godzilla fighting King Ghidorah. Yeah, that's that's fun. This looks like fun. I'm excited. Anyway, uh, enough of me gushing. Let's take a look at the musical biopic that is Rocket Man, the the biopic about Elton John. The thing about Elton John that people don't realize is that he never wrote the lyrics for the most of his songs. He was always the 
like he was given the lyrics by a by a writer, and it looks like they're gonna make ensure that 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 that's what he um, that's what he's doing. What did you say your name was again? My name is Reggie. Reginald Dwight. Reginald, that's my granddad's name. That is a fat boy from nowhere. Get to be a soul man. Gotta kill the person you were born to be in order to become the person you wanna be. I didn't realize Elton John used to play for like blues and soul singers. You could be the best selling artist in America if you desire. I was trying to do something bold. Why are you still something flashy? Can you even play the piano in those? Let him know who you are. And just don't kill yourself with drugs. <laughs> so how does it feel to be a star? It's never gonna last. Let's just enjoy it while we can. It does look like they're gonna be very open with the fact that he's gay, which is you know. I just hope you realize you're choosing a life of being alone forever. Don't we wanna just sing without this ridiculous paraphernalia? People don't pay to see Reg White. They pay to see Elton John. Sorry. I know. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be like a fantasy musical sort of thing. Do you even care how much pressure I'm under? Not really. I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. Is to live his fantasy. Maybe I should have tried to be more ordinary. You were never ordinary. And apparently that is Taron Edgerton singing, so the dude's got a voice on him. What a shy little boy you were. <laughs> Look at you now. Yep, so that's competing against Godzilla this weekend. We'll see how they how those fare. Uh, um, but I, I'm interested. I'm very interested to see uh, how this turns out because musical biopics have been kind of in a rut lately. They've kind of been just treading water, and and we'll see if this does the same or if like the, like the subject matter, it becomes flashier and way more interesting. So, the last one this weekend is a horror movie, and it stars an interesting actor. Uh, Octavia Spencer is the villain in the new horror movie Ma. Let's take a look. Are you going to meet a boy? No sex or booze. Okay. Is that? Whoa. Is that Juliette Lewis? The adults in this movie are, are the ones I recognize more than the kids. Can you buy some booze for my friends and I? Not interested. Please? Hell. Ooh, there's my girl. This never happened, okay? Thanks again for doing this, ma'am. You guys want to party like rock stars? Ooh. Like, right from there, that should have been, uh, that should have been a red flag. We don't know this chick. It ain't much, but it's all you. Cool basement. You're free to do whatever you want down here, but nobody go upstairs. This is so sick. Welcome to Mars. This year. What? Love Ma. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> How did she get our numbers? You know where the party is. Mm, those earrings are beautiful, Maggie. You got a sweet mama, huh? Who are you with? Just some kids from school. 
Yeah, like the weird, like psycho, yo, and then like party, like fun, fun time haver. It's, yeah, this looks like fun. Thanks for these earrings. Oh god, yeah, it's so creepy. Oh, and then Luke Evans is the other one. Like the parents of this are, are, are I recognize immediately. It's the teens I don't really recognize. So we'll see if they're like new kids or if I'll, I'll take a look at the cast list in a bit. Octavia Spencer. To be on the outside, looking in. Let's get this party turned out. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to Mars. This is the most fun I've had in a long time. Yeah, I'm very interested to see um, uh, what the secret is behind Ma and what's going on there. Uh, but I want, I did want to take a look at. Um, the teens in this. See if I recognized any of them from something. Uh, first of all, is that Juliette Lewis? It was! I was right! Ha! Um, Diana Silvers is the lead teenager, Maggie. She was uh, one of the cheerleaders in Glass. Oh, she was in Booksmart. Okay, so I have seen her before. So, yeah, I literally just saw her uh, in Booksmart. Um, McKaylee Miller is... is Another one. She's best known for Heart of Dixie. And looks like she's been in mainly like little things. She was on Screen Queens for a bit. Uh, minor roles and looked like this might be the one to kind of push her forward into more recognizable roles. Uh, Corey Fogelman? Corey Fogelmanis is from Girl Meets World. Okay, no wonder I have never... And Mostly Ghostly from uh, Greater of Goosebumps. Oh, so yeah, he's been in kid stuff. So this is like him uh, bra branching out into adult movies. Uh, Gianni Paolo is best known for The Mick and The Foster's Power. Uh, he's on Power over on Stars. Not familiar with that one. Uh, wealthy New York nightclub owner who has it all catering to the city's elite and dreaming big leaves a double life as a drug kingpin. Okay, so that's what that's about. Um, he's he's a recurring role on that, and this is and so once again, these are uh, these are young actors about to kind of break out. Um, Dante Brown looks like to be the last one. He's best known for the Lethal Weapon TV show, <laughs> uh, Community. He was on, and then like lot lots of TV. Uh, Oh, he was a uh, Murtaugh's son in that he, in the short-lived Lethal Weapon show, and then he was on Mr. Robinson as well. Not familiar with that one, Mr. Robinson. Oh, Craig Robinson's TV show. Okay, so yeah, he he's been a TV actor, and this is this like first real major film that he's been that he that he gets to be in. Um, so yeah, the, the the kids look all right. So we'll see about that. But yeah, Luke Evans. Missy Pyle is in this. Ooh, Allison Janney, 
lot great adult cast uh and then the teens look like fun and then octavia spencer is as the lead like this you know like part party you know very party girl um attitude and an adult that's very creepy in its own right and then you realize oh she's also like you know sociopathic killer as well like there's some secret that they're hinting at that that i get to see that we get to find out so can't wait to see how that turns out and hopefully it's good Worst case scenario, it's a really stupid movie and we'll have a lot of fun with it because it's Octavia Spencer and she's a great actress. But hopefully it's like a really good scary movie. We'll see. Uh, who are the writers behind this? Scotty Landis is the writer. He was he worked on Workaholics and Ballmasters 9009. Okay. Adult Swim is weird. Adult Swim's a trip, man. Uh, then Green Beret's Guide to Surviving the Apocalypse for the Netflix. He was a writer for that. So he's been all over the place. A lot of TV. Mostly Workaholics and then Adam Devine's House Party. Golan the Insatiable. A lot of Adult Swim. A lot of Comedy Central. So he's so it looks like it's going to be... Uh, it's definitely going to have a nice, darker, twisted, comedic take to it. We'll see. And then Tate Taylor's the director. He directed... Win no, he was an actor in Winter's Bone. What did he? What has he directed? Oh, he directed. He directed the help. And the girl on the train. Pretty ugly people. Get on up. The James Brown biopic. Uh, and 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 one episode of Grace and Frankie. Hmm. Very eclectic uh, filmography as a director. Um. So he's gone from pretty ugly people, which was some weird low budget uh comedy it looks yeah comedy i guess with missy pile that explains why missy pile's in here uh they have a connection um the help which was a serious you know oscar awards bait movie get on up which was a bio a music biopic the girl on a train which was an adult thrill psychological thriller and now a, a straight up like horror teen horror movie so dude's got a lot of range as a director i'll give him that did not expect to see the director of the... Well, that that explains why Octavia Spencer's in here. He's got that connection. <laughs> so you've got the director of The Help, a writer from Workaholics, with Octavia Spencer in a Blumhouse horror movie. This is a weird eclectic thing. This, this timeline's weird. This timeline's a trip, I'll tell you, man. So yeah, that that's what we got forward looking that's what we got to look forward to this weekend we'll see what all comes out on top this may be one of the best weekends of the year you know besides like avengers endgame which is like the only movie to come out that weekend but we'll see that about does it for this episode though which means it is time for the plugs if you're listening to this podcast you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at gumbycatnetworks.com and if you want to keep updated on all the new episodes as they come out you can be sure to Yo, favorite us on your web browser and whitelist us on your ad blockers and check out all of our other fine programming you know donna all of donna's stuff this on the snarkcast once more with feeling uh the family business beyond the cabin in the woods all of that's still the still available and um mike and i are still working on monty day we, we, it's just time you know and not to mention my day job has taken up a lot more of my time and that sets precedent because that's how i pay for all of this for right now and um i'll worry about but that's you know inside baseball stuff you don't need to worry about 
if you yourself are a podcaster and you would like to join our fine little network and you know help our help our little channel grow, uh, you can do you can send all your inquiries to gumbacatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you and see if your show is a good fit and help and help you in join the family. Uh, if you listen to podcasts on the go, you can find us on all your various podcast providers. We're on i i we're on uh, iTunes, Google Play, well Apple Podcasts now. I think they differentiated it from the iTunes store. So Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Um, and uh, and if you, you know, want to help channel, if you want to help this show out, you can be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show, that they should check it out as well. If you want to help the cha- help this show out particularly, well, uh, through you know financially help it out that way you can do so by donating to our patreon at patreon.com slash popcorn junkie and there you'll get access to all the old um much alongs and uh make a better movies and if you want those series to continue uh there'll be patreon exclusives and you and the only way to keep those going is to donate to the patreon uh you can also um I'm also going to try and uh, re-upload the old the old episodes so that the, we have a complete catalog in um, Pinecasts. And uh, located in the description of this episode will be a link to the Pinecast tip jar, where it's one-time donation. It gives you access to the couple of premium episodes that I made for Patreon as well. As time goes on, I'm going to try and upload more and more of them. But for right now, it's just a couple. And then... Um, See if I can't, you know, keep the, you know, have both of those outlets for people and see which one does better. But uh, the it's, it's an odd, oddly worded link, so I'll I'll leave that in the description. But basically, it's a link to the Pinecast tip jar, and you can just leave a one-time donation or you can leave recurring donations. You know, it's up to you. And then um, if you want to, you know, if, if you don't have the spare money, which trust me, I get it. Uh, you can always do, uh, share us on your social media. The social media home for us is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the major announcements are. And it's been a bit quiet there just because I've been so bogged down with a lot of stuff. And uh, But that's where all the major announcements and things are going on. And um, I'm more active on Twitter, though, at uh, Pod. That's where I'll interact with other film reviewers and movie people and that's where i'll tweet the munchalongs and the um and the uh trailer talk segments uh so if you want to interact with me there that's probably the your best bet and then um i'm somewhat active on instagram i mainly post like when i'm seeing when a new episode drops and when a uh and when a and when i'm seeing a new movie in theaters that i don't really know i'm not good at instagram but, uh, yeah, and then you can also follow me on Stardust, where I'm continuing the uh, Hail to the King retrospective. That's where the po- that's where I did move the retrospectives to, because it's way easier to do 30-second reviews and reactions rather than whole episodes. Maybe the next time uh, the legend- a legendary Pokemon movie comes out, we'll do a retrospective. Give me something to give me a little more time to script things, record things. These things cannot be done in like two months time, I've learned. Nah, these need like a year's worth uh, to get of time to get ready just because of my schedule. If I could devote my time directly to this, this show, 
I would have more time to do those retrospectives and stuff. But as long as I have a day job, I need more time to use my free time in order to get these things finished. So I'll worry about um, when is Kong versus Godzilla coming out? Because I know that's already announced. They've already got the IMDb page for it. Let's see. Oh no, it's Godzilla versus Kong. So, and they already got a poster, which looks really nice. Really saw a poster. God versus King. Ooh, nice. Uh, so yeah, so they're already they're already planning out the uh, eventual Godzilla ver King Kong versus Godzilla remake, and um. When's when was it announced? Twenty twenty, March twenty twenty. That does give me enough time. If I start now, I can prepare an actual retrospective as premium content. If enough people donate to the pay, to either the Patreon or to the tip jar to let me know that they're listening and that they want me and that they want the content. I will be happy to do and uh, try to do Hail to the King as full-length episodes. But otherwise, I'm not going to worry about that right now. Uh, that being said, uh, if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of um, criticism, you know, any kind of what do you think of the movies that I covered? Do you, you, know, do you have different opinions? Do you agree? Uh, do, you, do I need any correcting? Because if, there, if, I, made, if I made a mistake and, uh, you, and I need corrected, please do so. Uh, otherwise, you know, you know, anything like that, send it all to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want me to read it on the show in like an audience feedback segment, I, I would be glad to do so. Just you have to give me permission in either the subject line or in the message. Otherwise, I may just simply reference it, and I'll get back to you privately. That does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and the burnout is real, folks. The burnout is definitely real. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Yeah.